greatest skill at 19 was waking up in any ditch in the city and knowing how to get home. You know, but you know, when it was wearing off, the shady side of people show up, and it's it just took me way too long to acknowledge that it was all a lie. Oftentimes, the end result of that was death or jail. My soul was at least pulling me in the right direction. Where if, if you want a chance at luck, you have to around surround yourself with the type of people that you want to be, right? Because then that's when opportunities show up. Your present state is a sum of the choices you've made. Success isn't final, and failure isn't fatal. My name is Anthony Capazzoli, and this is the Dismantled Life Podcast, where we share stories of hope, love, and strength from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety. These are stories from people just like us who have lived through the pain and made it. I came out of the closet at in 1996 at Naperville North High School. It was not the same as it is now. It was pretty ballsy, but I just, I got along with everybody and it was never an issue out with, you know, peers and whatnot. It was, it was an issue at home when, when that finally happened. And from then on, it just, it wasn't a great relationship um, from that point. And, you know, trust is gone and, you know, you, you have these ideas and expectations that were now destroyed. And so you're just, hard not to look at yourself as a disappointment, right? So, and leading up to that, you know, I wasn't making the best choices. I was experimenting with, you know, pot and then it was acid. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're going to raves and then you come to fisticuffs with your parents and now you're, you know, couch surfing and going to parties every single week. So um, that's really kind of how it started. You, you, there's an absence of self-worth when you have that, I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but when you have this sense that you have nothing and you have nothing to lose there, there are, there's nothing is out of bounds at that point. You know, fortunately for myself, I just didn't skid into heroin. You know, that's, that's the, that's really the saving grace. And I joke to you, you know, I, I, I really turned it around would probably surprise half the people that I haven't seen in 20 years going to the parties just to see where I'm at. Cause you know, I, I joked with you that my greatest skill at 19 was, Waking up in any ditch in the city and knowing how to get home. You know, it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Life. Yeah. But that was it was just a crazy time. It's it was ecstasy was huge and raves were big and you know I was dating a, uh, someone who was selling it. So it was access to excess and, and then you have your recipe for for what happened. So what city did you say you were in at the time, Jason? Was that Chicago? It was home base was Chicago, but you know, we had networks right it was it was all over at that point so there was detroit and we'd been in st louis and just kind of really all over wherever the party was that's where we were going and it was fun you know as as many hard lessons as there were i did have fun but when you really look at it close you know all the parties you went to there might have been three really good ones at the end of the day you still wound up just as empty if not more than you did when you left I've never gotten into X. Does it drain you as much long term as everyone I've talked to says it does? Like it, they feel like it, like you're more emotionally depleted than being hungover or coming off of a, a coke bender. Like it's a different kind of pull down. Oh yeah, it's it's. Um, I mean, it's it floods your brain with serotonin, right? And what happens? You you, you flood it with all this excess, which means at some point that rubber band is going to snap back, and you have a, a depletion, right? So. It just takes some time to get back to a normal mood. And if you're only, you know, experimenting here and there, it was no big deal. But experimenting quickly turns into abuse, you know, once you're kind of just out and that's your, you know, I, I left COD and I used to joke for a bit that I went to school for a little bit, but then I decided I was going to be a professional raver and that didn't really pan out. It really was that element that made things okay for a few hours. 
because the uh, the sense of empathy and community and, and i still there's there's been few things in life that you know there would be i can't even name the party because you're so you know drug field you don't really classify them that way but there's a sense when you talk about people would mention like the vibe and what that was is you know it's probably everybody's peeking on whatever at the same time and the music's great and all of a sudden the whole room feels like one that was a bigger than me moment probably than i've ever experienced and that was the draw but it never happened you know it was it was just this thing you were chasing just like much of anything but when you were there there was no judgment and everybody was just always so happy and you know hugs and whatever but you know when i was wearing off the shady side of people show up and it's it just took me way too long to acknowledge that it was all a lie it was just this little bit of a show to distract you momentarily from the disaster that you know i thought my life was at that point so how long did that go on, the rave cycle, if you will? Uh, probably from 17 till maybe 20. And you kind of start to – there was two kinds of people. People that were kind of in it, and they, they fell into it for a little while, and they abused it, but they at least did enough soul-searching to pull themselves out of it before it became a story of them. And, and oftentimes the end result of that was death or jail. I had an awakening and, you know, my, my dad, his, he and I didn't talk for, you know, close to two years after I came out just because of, it was just a really sore subject, of course, you know, but then his dad got sick and died pretty quickly. And through that, then he, there was that opening where we just kind of let each other off the hook for a little bit. And, you know, it would work for a little while and then you just kind of hammer through it and you get into fights and we piss each other off and we wouldn't, you know, be on good terms, but it would only be for, you know, a few days or whatnot versus this just isolation. And we were learning how to deal with the real me and the real him. Right. So um, I, I still think, you know, for a few years after that, he thought that it was a phase or whatnot. And it's just, I don't know how many times to explain it to you that this is how it is you still are left with subconsciously this idea that no matter what you're just less than right you will never be this and that is a weight to carry and it it, it messed with my head longer than i would acknowledge you know it, it led me to some bad decisions i mean out of that you know when i kind of started when i left that scene you know that was the thing uh, i can't do drugs anymore this is bad i don't see that where i want my life to go but I'm early 20s and I'm still not, you know, done with the party scene. So then you trade the alcohol, you know, for the drugs. And it turns out I was way more fun on ecstasy than I was <laughs> <laughs> alcohol. But again, it's just this this mask, right? So, and then I, I had my the longest relationship I ever had kind of came when I was in that messiness, and a lot of that. I accepted so much less out of a partner because I didn't think I was worth as much. And the alcohol just kept reinforcing that, right? This sense of jadedness. But it went on for 12 years and, and cheated on forever. And that kind of stuff just reinforces. Like you create this system of self-manifestation of this idea that isn't true. You know, once you actually stop and put it down and acknowledge your life is worth something and you start to see that you've just been wasting your time, it's just... I don't regret anything because you can't, right? Right. I know that every single one of those decisions drove me to where I was. When I was in the city and I was leaving, I was like, I can't live like this anymore. I'm going to get out of this. And so I started taking a couple classes here and I just found something I'm interested in. I, I could take it back to one point. I was just driving. I was at my wits end and this commercial came on the radio and it was just for some computer classes. Whatever. I was like, you know what? This is the decision. This is the one that is going to change everything. It did. That was the beginning, you know, because then it was 
And I went and talked to my parents and we just kind of talked it out and I need some help. This is what I want to do, whatever. And they helped me get into that class, right? So did that and I passed that class. So now it's a competition. All right, now I'm actually doing these good things and the reward is so much longer and, and so much more um, durable than a cheap $25, you know, high, because it's just that. And then you want to do more. It's the same kind of addiction. I think it's just in a more positive direction. I had the same moment in a different way, but, but mine, I call it the everything and nothing moment where it's just that one thing. And it, it usually is so slight and unnoticed by anyone else but you at the time. And it changes absolutely everything. That radio commercial for you, that's huge. And, and that really is that little feather that falls down and crumbles all that bad stuff away. It gives you the chance to come up for air, which is truly Awesome. I, I, I love it. And that's my favorite part about the show is hearing that moment from everybody. And then what happened next? I, I think it's great. And, 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 and you'll never forget it. And it's that yeah. piece that's burned into your brain and it's, it's your center, right? Yeah. If you kind of get to it. So I quit drinking in 2008. So it's been 12 years. Right. And I still go back to that. And it's, I, re I remember it like it was yesterday. It was just that one decision because it was, it was like, I was telling you, when you have a goal, you always know what the right choices are. When you don't, when you're just kind of aiming in the dark, yeah, it's there's no consequences, anything, right? There's no there's That's no right. loss, there's no risk of, yeah. of not fulfilling some desire or what whatever it is. And so that turned into okay, I'm getting I'm, now I'm leaving the city. I got to get out of here. I got to get back to like life. This is just not what I want my life to be. And then, you know, it, it as much as as hard as you can work, the reality is there has to be a little bit of luck too. Right. So in order to realize luck or at least have a chance at it, I maybe didn't realize it then. But looking back, my soul was at least pulling me in the right direction where if, if you want a chance at luck, you have to around surround yourself with the type of people that you want to be. Right. Because then that's when opportunities show up. So, you know, that that certification I got out of that class took me into you know my first my real job. And that's where I got into working with phone systems and stuff. And I just loved it. And I picked it up really quick. And, and everybody I worked with was just, wow, you're really good at this. You picked this up really quick. So if you take that and from the precursors that got me into the destructive behavior and that one moment and the feedback that you get that, wow, you're really good at something, that's, that's, that's the beginning of something that's lasting, right? Because now you have and you know what it looks like, you know what it feels like, you know what it tastes like to have it. So how do you keep pushing yourself further? So for me, that's just how I drive myself. And when I don't, and I'll stop, and I realize just through COVID even, because you're so restricted and your whole life's turned upside down. I mean, I was in the gym you know, a couple times a week. I ran two marathons last year. I did Chicago and New York back to back within three weeks. I always had something, right? And it was the absence of something and all there was was doom and gloom. I kind of started feeling myself I don't say retreating like in a, in a dangerous way where I was close to relapsing. Cause I just, for me, it's been so long. I just, it's in my brain now. It's, um, but you just, you start to remember what it feels like to feel helpless. And, and then well, just, but, but now going through it, you're aware of it. And when you're aware of it, you can say, guess what? You know, success, not just in recovery, but in, in every aspect of your life, you can't just wing it. it like you said, there, there needs to be a purpose or a goal in mind. Otherwise, you don't know where your north is, uh, just like you stated, and you can't wing it. I mean, especially being an addict in, in recovery, I have to, 
I need things to be kind of organized and have, a, just like you said, I have to know the difference between a good and a bad choice. And I heard uh, something else you said that I love. You have to surround yourself with the right kind of people so you can make the right choices. Pitbull, um, the the rapper or whatever, singer, whatever you want to call him, uh, I heard him on the Tony Robbins podcast. And he's not the first person to say this, but it, his version of it hit me pretty hard. I mean, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I think that that's a big part of recovery as well, or, or just a good life in general. I mean, you have to surround yourself with people that are on the same path. You can't, it, like, I couldn't go sit in a bar and, and say, I'm not going to drink. That's bullshit. I'm going to fucking screw it up because I'll be, I'll put myself in a position to fail. And you become your surroundings, right? I mean, no matter what your surroundings are, you, you sort of become it. Like I, I heard one time that, you know, like when astronauts go up into orbit, that just when we're like barely out of, you know, the earth's, you know, chemi- uh, atmosphere or whatever, our blood and our cells and everything starts to evolve towards that environment, right? So we're like such evolve where our sort of our strength and our weakness as as beings even is that we're so flexible. We can evolve to anything, including really low frequency, um, terrible environments as well. We're just as chameleon in the negative as we are in the positive. Why um, AA never worked for me. Like it, it was fine for the first couple of weeks. I needed it because I needed someone to relate to me. But again, and and maybe it was a subconscious decision of this isn't the kind of community I need to surround myself with because it's too much of the same struggle. I need you to hear me. And it's nice to have an open forum where I can talk about this. And because I was mad, I was like, why can't I handle this? Why can't I just, you know, I can't, whatever. And you let that go because you realize it's just whatever. But again, I go back to the, well, I don't see, I mean, these people aren't drinking now, but I don't really see much happening in their life, right? There, there's, there's just, they're, they've traded one addiction for another. Now, instead of taking personal accountability for the things that happen, you're surrendering yourself to this group or this philosophy, which if that works for you, great. If it keeps you sober, I do not want to begrudge anybody that. Of course but not. for me, it's a you know, status quo is never good enough for me. I yeah. have to push myself for it. You know, I don't feel like I'm growing. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think totally the, understand that the, the main thing is the way is the way um, for each individual. I mean, I, I've talked to people that AA has worked wonderfully for, and that's spectacular. And then others, it, it, it didn't work so well. And I, I think it just, it does come down to the ability to make choices to help yourself. And, and that's what I think the purpose of our show is to give people the hope that there are other ways to get there. There are other stories and not against AA. I'm just saying that there's options. And people should pursue those options to find out what works best for them. And as a caveat too, Anthony is like, even though I've, I have been to several AA meetings and I think that, you know, as a disclaimer, if I would have allowed AA to work on me, I I'm 1 million percent certain it would have produced change, but similar to Jason, I had a, you know, and, and some of that's probably my own ego, right? My own arrogance, my own, oh, I had to push it harder. I need something different and better. Probably the same reason that got me to being probably rather uh, (laughs) bad of thinking I was above the law. Um, So I I always kind of wondered about that too, a little bit of like, Ooh, when I was not going to AA in the beginning, I I mean, I started and then I kind of stopped going. Uh, It didn't start drinking again. And I was like, Hmm, do I need to be going to AA? So I know a lot of people go through that of like, am I able to, you know, be sober if I don't go to AA? And I mean, I think there's, a lot of people on the show have, have done 
kind of a mix, right, of different right. approaches. Yeah, definitely, um, and and that's that's for sure. I mean, so Jason, like, aside from that moment when you decided to start going to those classes and and pursuing it that way and using your addiction in a positive way, so to speak, what were some of the things that you did to to stay focused or, or keep going forward towards the goal? Like for me, being healthy was a big deal for me, walking, boxing, biking, et cetera. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like for you? Because that is also one of my favorite parts of the show is what people did, not just to get there, but to stay there. I think again, when people ask me for advice, it's like, look, your present state is a sum of the choices you've made. Success isn't final and failure isn't fatal. You know, you just got to keep moving forward, right? Right now, I sit in a really awesome position. I love my job. I got a master's degree from Northwestern two years ago. I run marathons and those those things didn't happen overnight. Those are just things that I set for myself and just take marathons, for example. You have to train, you know, depending on how in shape you are, anywhere from like, you know, four to six months. So that is a goal all the way over here, half a year. And to get to this point, you have to make the right choices every single day, right? And those choices have, you know, it's not just the benefit of finishing this race and doing well. It's I'm going to be eating healthy. I'm going to be fueling myself. I'm going to be doing all the things that, you know, I can go to bed. I've got healthy sleep patterns. I'm in shape, like all those things. I'm healthier, just a generally healthier human being. Um, so just putting myself in positions and remembering that, you know, the choices I make today are going to affect what tomorrow looks like. I can't, they're not, they're never going to change what the past was. It's just, you know, where can I put myself? What, what trajectory can I put myself on? You know, so I started, you know, like I said, I had the opportunity early on working with phone systems and I was like, okay. And, and I'm always pushing further and you kind of look at trends, right? How am I going to survive? Cause nothing lasts forever. So where's this job going? Where, what's next? And you realize, you know, okay, if I want to go in this direction, I start taking these classes. And pretty soon you get these certificates and people are celebrating you for that. And it's just this momentous thing that feeds itself. And bad decisions are just as contagious, right? Because they just reinforce that direction. You just got to be able to stop and look and readjust. And don't be afraid. You said something earlier that I thought was, was really key when you first took that class you said that you sort of doubled down on the, the progress or so to speak, you reinvested that. All of it. Every, every single one of those is an investment, like you're saying. Exactly. And like they say that like the one thing I think that if you can ever, I always think of universal laws too, right? Where it's like compounding interest is probably arguably the most, you know, one of the greatest miracles in the universe as everyone would kind of agree on. And um, a lot of people that are a lot smarter than I have cool quotes about that. But if you look at it, it's like all these different areas in your life. If I listen to you, Jason, I'm hearing you say that like you kind of woke up to the idea that there's all this compound interest around you that you can choose to get on that track or or not, right? And yeah. allowing it to and and what you also said I think that's key for people is to think about like what's the next one, right? Because like you get the ball rolling, but like you said, now you start understanding, okay, what trajectory am I on? What's the next one? And that commitment to keep passing the baton each time. Because as soon as you stop and stand still, life starts to pass you up. Yeah, you got to use sober momentum to its advantage. The one thing, too, that I think has been a common thread with most of the guests, I was never comfortable in my own skin at peace with myself. I was always what you had said before we actually started recording, Jason, is FOMO or fear of missing out, right? For those who have been under a rock for the last 10 years, don't know what FOMO is. But because I overfined it, I realized, forgive me. But, the, <laughs> but that was the thing. I had to get good at being okay with just being at peace and quiet. 
And that takes practice, man. That does as silly as this sounds. It does. It's not. It's take it for granted. It's not just as easy as sitting there. And I'm trying to teach my children to sit and sit quietly. You don't always have to have a video game or something. I guess I'm going to say something active. Sometimes you just need to sit and be calm. And that took some practice and some training on my part to be able to do that myself. I'm still terrible at it, but I work at it and I try to meditate every day. And that's usually consists of me, you know, battling myself to, to shut the hell up internally. But <laughs> it's choices surrounding yourself with, with the, with the right choices and with FOMO. And when you kind of look at it that way, you have this fear of missing out and that's what can kind of draw you back into that bad behavior. And you get there and you're like, well, this wasn't it's the same shit before. Why did I make this stupid choice again? Right. But now, like when you get good at it and you start to look at things and see the forest for the trees, I start to look at things as I have all these goals now, right? And maybe getting drunk sounds interesting, even though I haven't said that in probably 10 years. But right. I start to look at it in terms of, but how is that going to affect my performance in getting this goal? Or I have a seven mile run to do tomorrow. If I did that, that puts that whole thing in jeopardy. And now I've derailed all this stuff. You know, as soon as you have something to lose, whether it be progress, whether it be fitness, whether it be school, work, family, whatever it is, as soon as you can start putting these things in front of you, things that you stand to lose by making that choice, it's easier to step back and go, that's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. You put like a price on or, or you see what's at stake, but it's interesting because like it was already there. Like you were already at stake. You were just unconscious about it. Nobody gives a fuck what you're doing at the bar. Like if everyone goes out thinking that, Hey, I'm going to show up and then shit's really going to kick off. Nobody gives a shit that you're there, man. They could care. Unless you're buying the next round or the next bag, they could give a fuck. Wait until those guys see me show up to the it's bar. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's never it's it's always in your head and that's the thing you have to learn how to put that shit down i mean it's crazy monks literally spend their whole lives trying to be still and then like regular people like us were like oh stillness what's that stupid stuff it's like literally the most enlightened uh, aspect of of really human existence is being able to like quiet your mind on purpose and and none of us really <laughs> do it very well and there's a the book that i mentioned was stillness is the key by by ryan holiday which is like a really good history of, of sort of stillness that came out. But I'm curious, you know, what do you do on a daily to kind of when things start getting chaotic or just before they ever do, what's your routine? So I was introduced to um, this wonderful woman. Uh, she is an executive coach that I've been working with kind of a couple of years now, and she's got a couple of different programs. And one of them is called Mind Mastery I've gone to. And it's, I guess it's kind of a meditation, but what it is is it's, you know, you are accountable for your thoughts, right? And and if you allow yourself to go down these rabbit holes, it's all consuming. And guess what? You had the power to stop it. And and what is it? What are your triggers? It's it's this where what situations you find yourself in, what happens when you have these emotional reactions to things, right? And first, you know, she describes it when it when it the very first hour, it's what I'm gonna teach you to do is get in touch with your underlying operating system as a human being. Because you do things and you have reactions to things that you're not even aware of. But pay attention to how you react to things. Because when you know about it, you can stop it in action and turn it into a positive. So for me, that's how I keep myself from kind of going off the rails every so often. Because we all have stress. We all have things that make life not fun. But it's how you manage that stress in, in a healthy way. And for some people, it is 
just relaxing or sitting still or meditating. But for me, it's just digging deeper and understanding who I am so I can be in the most control of myself and always kind of put my best self out there. Cause I said such a great job of putting my worst self out for, you know, so <laughs> what you want is to start with what you don't want. Right. And that was part of my, you know, I, I only came out professionally two years ago because, and through working with her, she was, you know, you will never reach your leadership potential if you don't do this because you're always going to second guess everything you do. And it's going to limit you just like I did for everything else. And it just, it comes full circle. The choices I made that trapped me in this thinking kept me here in this kind of purgatory. And it still chases you, you know, when you have that and it pops up in the weirdest of spots. But every so often you just need to be conscious of it or hope someone points it out to you, you know, so you can kind of correct it. If you're hiding something from yourself is actually the only thing that even really matters because, you know, underneath it all, that sort of downgrades your, you know, your whatever you want to call it, self-worth or, or frequency. Some people call it in the, the energetic world. And it's like, you know, right? It's like, that's all that matters. Hold yourself accountable in every way. I spent um, about 40 years creating bad habits and a bad, the worst version of myself I could create. And the past couple of years, uh, 26, 27 months, whatever it is, creating new habits. And you do have to practice. It takes time. You got to figure out what you like and what you don't like and, and take that course and, but challenge yourself. Don't, don't take the easy way out. You, cause what, what's the phrase? If you do what's easy now, life will be hard. If you do what's hard now, life will be easy. You have to unscrew yourself up. Uh, so I, I worked real hard at jamming myself into the worst possible situations I could running wild. Like somebody left the gate open like an idiot. So now the past couple of years, I've done, I think the right things and made the right choices and built positive routines. It's, it's, that's my favorite part about the show is hearing everybody's story. The threads are consistent, but the stories are different. It's wonderful. And I love to hear people's success. It's just great, man. And Jason, I think it's great that you're challenging yourself even now and all the great things you've done in sobriety to, as you say, come out two years ago in professionally and pursue even new heights on every level of your life as well. That's thanks. That's, you know, you, you have to know that and accept the fact that you're going to fail. Like, guess what? If you're not failing, you're not trying. You just got to be smart enough to let yourself off the hook, right? So, because you just know it's going to happen. Yeah, and, and, and it's okay to fail, but fail fast, you know, and pick yourself back up and keep moving.